Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. I started going by she, they interchangeably, you know, just, you know, if people were to use she for me, that wouldn't upset me. And if people use they for me, it made my heart kind of flutter in a, in a fun, warm way. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassing Game, and I am your host. Today, we have Rivka Reyes. I am so excited for this bonus episode today. It is Pride Month, and we are going to talk about queer issues. Rivka was amazing, giving me all of the information, allowing me to ask difficult questions, as I often do, so that we all can have a better understanding. We want to be in council culture, not cancel culture. This is about learning and teaching one another and being seen. So Rivka does an amazing job, and I am so excited for you to hear this episode. All right bonus episode. Let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We're a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Rivka, thank you so much for being here. It's I'm really excited to have you here for Pride Month. Um, have you started celebrating yet? You know, uh, not yet. I, I think it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> a lot of social media posts are just like, here's why I'm proud. And, you know, I'm celebrating pride because this, this, and this. And I always think of, you know, pride as a protest. And so, yes, mm. I guess in a way, in a way I have been celebrating. I, you know, I've been, you know, actively uh, raising funds to you know, save Sheikh Jarrah in Palestine. And I, I think that is like a part of my, you know, queer identity is like being also like radically and actively anti-racist and, um, you know, radically for the justice of all, you know, especially for people of color and those that are just harmed by oppression and imperialism and all of that and colonization but yeah, I, I guess like in a way, my celebration of pride is like giving back to the community. So I've been like offering uh, pay what you can uh, sessions like for Akashic Records uh, readings with, you know, queer and trans people of color for this month. And yeah, so I guess that's that's an ample celebration. I love that. I love that. That is ample. And it's actually you know, the way that we celebrate is different, right? Because we celebrate the end of a life when someone dies with a funeral, which doesn't seem like it's not the same type of celebration, right? It's somber, but it is a celebration of life, right? We are celebrating. And, and so each thing that we celebrate, we're going to, sometimes we do it very differently. And sometimes that celebration is 
somber and serious. And sometimes that celebration is light and fun and joyful, and it can be everything in between. So I love the way that you're celebrating because it really does reflect this idea that there's still a lot of work to do, but that we've come, you know, we've still made progress. So trying to celebrate both of those things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So tell me, you are, you know, you were a child star. You're known for being the bassist, the young girl bassist in School of Rock. Fantastic movie, by the way. Um, My dad reminds me so much of Jack Black. So I just have, there's like a special place (laughs) in my heart for that because my dad is my dad would sit me down when I was a kid and teach me about music and in a very similar way. So very funny and uh, great movie. Did you know or did you have... Actually, let me back up. How old were you in that movie? I was 10 when we uh, shot the movie. And then when we started doing press and everything, I was 11. So And your state... What was your state of mind at 10, 11? Were you, did you, were you innocent? Were you aware? Were you, what was your, uh, did you have any idea that you were going to, you know, identify as queer, uh, alcoholic, any of that? Yeah. Uh, so when I was 10 going into it, I was very pure and very innocent and, you know, didn't know too much. And I'll never forget this is like maybe on like my third night in New York. So I was from Chicago and they brought us out to New York for shooting uh, the film. And we went out to dinner at the, like the Waldorf or something like that. And I walked into the bathroom and I saw a girl like hammered and, and, you know, messed up. And she was just like, wait, what the fuck? There's a kid in here. And I was just like, I asked my mom, I was just like, was that girl sick? Like I, you know, and she was just like, yeah, yeah, she was drunk. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I had seen drunkness before, you know, um, my family, you know, my parents made it a point to never be like wasted, like drunk in front of us, which is really nice. Um, But their siblings Mm -hmm. did not. So (laughs) I definitely saw like drunk titas and titos and um, uncles and aunts and cousins and stuff. But I remember just seeing that. And as far as the queerness goes, I didn't really know much. I I wasn't really aware of my own until I was in high school, but I knew what being gay was because I was raised in a pretty liberal family with, you know, and I grew up in a pretty predominantly gay neighborhood in Chicago. And my dad's got like a bunch of friends who are drag queens and, you know, business partners who are gay and, you know, I have a lesbian aunt and stuff like that. But as far as on set goes, I was very pure, very innocent. We were actually together last night, me and the kids from School of Rock, um, just on Zoom, just catching up and uh, talking about how pure the friendships were and how pure our personalities were on set. And then it's like, when we came back, a lot of us had this experience, but I'll speak from my own is that when I came back from set after gaining this confidence, being around like-minded kids and, you know, being able to be goofy and be fun and be confident, I had this newfound like sense of self. And I was just like, wow, like I'm cool. Like, I, you know, I have it together. And I came back to school and kids are like, what you think you're better than us? Cause you made a little mm-hmm. movie. Like, and they were really mean and they were really nasty and stuff. And, you know, my mom would always be like, they're jealous. And I'm like, 
it doesn't feel like they're jealous. Like it just feels like they hate me and it feels like they really just want me to like be gone. Like, cause they liked it better when I was, you know, out and doing the movie and stuff. And, you know, anytime I got to go away for, um, press or for, you know, premiering in another country or whatever, I was just like, Oh, thank God I get to be with my people again. And then when I'd come back to school, I was just like, ugh, yeah, we're back to reality. And then I kind of started chasing that, you know, next gig. Cause I was just like, I definitely don't want to have to like do this, um, forever. Like this coming, yeah. you know, back to school, I would like to just like book something else so I can like be with another cast and just like work on set and do school on set. So I don't have to deal with the mean people at, at my actual school. And then that gig never came. So it, it really took a toll on my spirit. And, and I guess it's kind of, funny how I was so lucky to have been not lucky. I mean, Richard Linklater was very intentional with how he cast school of rock, like, and the kids specifically, especially the ones who were in the band, like he knew, and he put together this beautiful special family and we still love each other very much. And we talk all the time, especially as of recently, we've lost a member of our family and, uh, you know, it's been really, really tough, but, you know, it's like you were saying a celebration of life, right? Like we, we got together today to celebrate, you know, their life. And I'm, you know, flying back to my hometown, um, next week to go to the actual like memorial funeral and stuff. And yeah, I'm just, Which um, cast member passed away. Uh, the drummer, Kevin Clark, he played Freddie Jones and he was my best friend, you know, in the cast. And it's been, it's been extremely, extremely, dysregulating and and difficult. And, you know, especially as a person in recovery, like, I mean, my grandma passed away about 90 days into me getting sober, but I, you know, she was 90 something and we had known, you know, that it was going to happen soon. Like this was sudden and, you know, it was just a freak accident. He was killed in a car crash, um, while he was biking home. And it was just so, I mean, he's young too. And, and yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel real. Um, I'm like just now starting to be in the acceptance of it, but I mean, even that is hard because it's like, I accept it, but I don't like it. And like, I don't want to feel feelings. Uh, but you know, ultimately, what I have now is immense gratitude for the community I've always had around School of Rock with within the cast and within the, you know, family that is that cast. And it, you know, it's interesting. Like it mirrors in a way the sense of I'm home that I feel when I like am in space with people in yeah, recovery. Yeah. You know? You know, especially like, you know, my 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 like close circle of recovery friends, like that feels like how long have you been sober? just like if I got sober from drinking on December 10th, 2017, but I didn't like start actually working like, you know, in recovery, like, you know, until March, 2018. So it's been a little over three years of, you know, recovery, uh, because like, I feel like sobriety and recovery don't always mean the same thing. Um, they certainly didn't for me because for the first three months of me being, uh, sober from alcohol, I was still very dry. I was still acting out like, you know, um, with food and with sex and 
people pleasing and stuff like that. And now three years later, you know, there, there's definitely, I definitely have a strong sense of spirituality that has been able to hold me through this grief, through this loss. And I was noticing, noticing the other day how like I've, some of my, you know, routine has been thrown off. Like I've, I've not, I've not done my praying and meditating the same way that I, you know, had been doing it last week. Right. And that's fine. And I know that my, you know, creators have forgiven me for that. Like that they're not going to like stop protecting and caring for me if I've taken a couple days off. But the, the thought, you know, always gets me. The thinking always is like the the first thing to, to go. And I'm very fortunate that I have like strong friends in recovery, a strong community in recovery of people who are like asking me if I'm eating, asking, making sure that I'm taking care of myself, making sure that I'm like getting out of the house, making sure that I'm not numbing out in work, because that's usually the second thing to happen is I start to get really analytical and um, thinky. And then I start numbing out in work and forgetting to eat, forgetting to take care of my body. And luckily, you know, aside from my friends in recovery, the kids from School of Rock have all been very like checking in on me and being like, Hey, like, are you okay? (laughs) Like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Like one of them, you know, one of the other kids from the film is sober and we like sat on uh, FaceTime last night and chanted Nam-myoho Renge-kyo like for like a couple minutes together. And I was just like, Oh, I needed that. I really needed this. I love that. (sighs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's yeah. you know the thing about you talk about your sobriety and your routine and having been sober a long time i can tell you that what matters is that you have all like in the good times you're working on all the different things right so you are working on taking care of your body you're taking care of your spirit you have the community you have all the different legs of a stool right a leg the stool has many legs so that when one or two or three fall off the stool can still stand And it's so important that we have multiple stools. And when I hear about people who have like, I just go to meetings or I just pray or I, you know, any one of those things, you know, when something, when the shit hits the fan, right? When, when you lose a close friend and you're not going to take care of yourself perfectly, that's okay. That's, you know, that's why you take care, you try to take care of yourself more perfectly in other times, because when it falls apart, you have this community and you have all these things to fall back on. Yeah. And I, I often, you know, well, well, when I'm working with others, like, which I do, uh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I actually just started working with somebody new t- yesterday because I was just like, I'm in my head. I need to get out of myself and like get into helping somebody else. Like for please just for, you know, and I like, you know, was giving, um, a talk on uh, Monday night. And I just kind of said at the end of it, I was just like, I'm going to make myself available to work with a newcomer. Like I, I think I would like to take somebody under my wing, take them through, you know, the, the steps and go from there. And some, somebody reached out and it was kind of, they were perfect too. Like I'm, I'm, we're not perfect, but like, I was just like, Oh, this is definitely my, yeah. my person. This is my newcomer. And, um, I'm really stoked. Like then I can, I can already see them like, you know, the willingness there. And I'm like, this is what I need. Like, I need to see 
recovery through a newcomer's yeah, eyes again. Yeah. I um, love that. Just because when I start to get, when life starts to get lifey and, you know, I start to get bitter or jaded or, um, you're just in it, you know, it starts to feel like I'm drowning, like in the waves of my emotions. And it's hard for me not to want to numb this out. You know, I'm going to be real honest. Like it's been really, really hard. It's been a week. Um, and it's been difficult for me not to, you know, isolate or starve myself or, you know, numb out with, um, other people, but, you know, and thankfully I haven't wanted to like pick up drugs again or like alcohol, but like, I mean, I've been chain smoking cigarettes. Like, yeah, sometimes you gotta (laughs) do what you gotta do. Haven't been, sometimes you gotta, yeah. Sometimes you gotta just pick up like one kind of harmless thing, you know, and I haven't been like doing my, you know, nightly 12 steps, uh, skincare routine as much. And I'm seeing it on my face and I'm just like, wow, like, this is insidious. This disease wants me dead. This disease wants me dead. And as much as I like simultaneously never want to outlive anyone again, uh, after this, like I very much want to be alive. (laughs) I very much want to carry my friend Kevin's legacy, you know, through service, through acts of service, because he was like humble. He worked at a Starbucks for like the last, you know, uh, like five or six years in Chicago and was perfectly humble and excited to, you know, work at Starbucks, uh, and be a manager there and, and talk to people and meet people and, you know, be caffeinated, be caffeinated and get people's days going, you know, um, he was this like wild ball of energy and grew up, you know, to be this, loving, tender, warm-hearted, special, special person in my life and in all of our lives. And, you know, I've been collecting messages, um, from fans and from people who knew him, um, you know, both from School of Rock and from Chicago, uh, cause we have that weird Chicago connection. <laughs> it's a very small city, uh, despite how big it is. Uh, everyone somehow knew him, uh, whether it was through me or through the movie or through Starbucks right. or through whatever, and it's just so surreal. Like, I mean, hearing how big of a impact he had on so many people's lives, even if he was only in their life for, you know, 10 seconds or, you know, 18 years in my case, you know, and we really, we really fucking grew up together. And, you know, I get to carry that legacy on by showing up to my uh, humble retail job that I work on the weekends and smile and show people all of the things that I love about skincare. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's about doing what you love. I want to jump to, you know, in, in celebration of recovery and pride month, I want to jump to a couple questions I have. And one is about the changing of the pronouns. You have a pronoun Sia, which I had to look up. Yeah, it's pronounced Shaw. Shaw. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't look it up well enough. Okay. Shaw. What, what, when, that transformation and and changing your pronouns has that been liberating for you? And how did you choose your pronouns? I love this question. I love talking about my journey, um, gender wise, because I feel like it goes kind of hand in hand with my recovery. When I was uh, working on a play in Chicago in 2015, one of my castmates was non-binary and used they them pronouns, and they were the first uh, person that I had ever met, like and become friends with that 
that was non-binary. Like I'd known trans yeah. people, uh, you know, trans women, trans men, um, but I'd never met a person who kind of floated in between uh, genders and, and lack of gender and identified more as like, <laughs> you know, a, an amoeba or like a, a fairy or a wizard or, you know, a, a, an otter than a, a man or a woman. And I was just like, huh. And, you know, I started going by she, they interchangeably, you know, just, you know, if people were to use she for me, that wouldn't upset me. And if people use they for me, it made my heart kind of flutter in a, in a fun, warm way. And that was, uh, yeah, that was in 2015 or 16 that I started, you know, saying like, I go by she, her and they, them, like, call me whatever you want. Uh, just, don't call me by my government name because uh, <laughs> I never quite liked it. Um, and uh, I always had just like a thousand different nicknames. Nobody ever called me by like my old name. And when I would perform at stand-up shows and whatever, people would introduce me like the host would be like, you might recognize them from School of Rock or Netflix is easy. Give it up for them. Like, and that started making me feel amazing, like to have that affirmation. And in 2018, a couple months after I got sober, I started feeling like much more fluid and neutral than I ever had. Um, I think it was just like my connection with God, honestly, like my higher power, you know, that allowed me to not be so black and white in my thinking. And I think a lot of what was holding me back gender wise was like, well, if I'm not a woman, then nobody's going to ever find me attractive. Oh, interesting. And, you know, I'm a member of uh, many fellowships, like one of which is a, a people fellowship uh, where I deal with my uh, addiction and deep fear of people all at the same time. And I, you know, have learned that what other people think of me is none of my business. And, you know, as long as I have validation from God, which I already do, and I already have, and I always will, I'm free to go by any pronoun and God will still love me no matter what. And I'm free to change my name to, you know, an ancestrally fit version of the name that I was given by my parents who did their best naming me. Right. They did their best. They, they just like called me what they wanted to, because they saw the name like Rebecca Brown on a marquee and that name ended up not working what out, is, you know, what is your ancestry? I'm Jewish and Filipino, um, Ashkenazi Jewish and Filipino. And, you know, going from being like Becca Brown, which I even hate saying it. Like I, I, you know, tr do my best not to like really say it that often. Um, because it just truly does feel like a foreign language now. And, and like something that just never fit it's kind of like a costume. That's a little too tight and too itchy. I, in the summer of 2020 during COVID started working within the Akashic records and opening those for myself and, you know, looking back at my ancestry and doing some ancestral healing work. And the message I kept on getting was like, you, you have to take our name. You have to mm. take our name. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, go to the roots, go to the motherland. And I was just like, okay. And I took on the Hebrew version of yeah. Rebecca, which is Rivka. And, you know, friends call me Riv and I love that so much. And it just has been, you know, 
a journey, a process of discovery and rediscovery of who I am and who I always was meant to be. And, you know, being with the cast of School of Rock who met me going by a different name, who all now call me by Riv or Rivka, it just felt so good. It feels so good to hear my name in my family's mouths. Like it, it just, I love it so much. And then as far as the pronouns go now, they, them is like my strong preference. Like, you know, it gives me gender euphoria and affirmation to hear people use they for me, especially strangers. Like when I'll go to, um, little Thai place down the street from my, my, or it's not Thai, it's Taiwanese, a uh, place down the street from me. And, you know, the cashier was just like, do you have an order for Rivka? They're here to pick it up. And I <laughs> just get so happy. Like when a stranger knows right. that, right. you know, or, or doesn't assume like, yeah, I think they wanted a orange blossom tea. Like, and it's just so second nature that it just makes me feel so good. And she is like, it, it doesn't give me dysphoria. It doesn't give me like, you know, icky, I mean, sometimes it does, but for, for me, I'm like neutral about it. It's like, meh, I guess like in some, in some shapes and forms, I am that he, like nobody calls me he, but like, I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not closed off to it. Um, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I'm f- super fluid and, um, kind of just aware that in my, you know, many lives that I've lived before this one, I've been many different things and many different genders and that's beautiful. And I'm, I feel like in this life, honoring all of those past selves by just using, um, a neutral pronoun for now. And that could change. It could change tomorrow. It could, you know, I could wake up tomorrow and decide to change my name again or change my pronouns to he or go back to she or whatever. And that wouldn't make me any less non-binary or any less queer or anything like that. And, you know, as far as the queerness goes, I, I, I think that I was born queer, just like I was born an addict, <laughs> but I've been, you know, blessed to have a strong community of queer, uh, sober friends who are, you know, also, some of them are also navigating gender. Some of them are also navigating, like being openly out as queer for the first time since the pandemic. And it's beautiful to see. So I have some questions for you and, and I'll just give you a tiny bit of background. So I'm married to a man and I have two little kids. So very, um, traditional in that way. <laughs> and, um, I've been sober 15 years and I have dated, uh, I've dated women. I've dated women a couple times. And I mean, I consider myself straight for the most part, just, I don't know. I, I it's, I'm consider myself someone who, can be attracted to anyone and either way, but I don't, I don't really have the need to call that anything. And I often feel like I, you know, have a lot of really masculine qualities. And, but again, I, I guess, I guess what my, you know, I'm I'm describing this for you because I wonder why there's this strong need to identify differently. Like if, because what I think of is, gosh, I feel a lot of different ways and that doesn't make me want to change my pronouns. I wonder if they must, people who want to change their pronouns must not feel the way I feel because to me, non-binary is what we all are, a great mix of 
men, male and female energy, why there must be something other people are feeling that I'm not feeling if they have the desire to identify Mm. that and tell people that because I always assume everybody feels that way. Yeah. Well, you know, my thought always has been, yes, exactly what you're saying. We all have a, um, a delicate and fluid balance of divine masculine and divine feminine within us. Right. And on some days I am definitely feeling like today I feel pretty butch. I feel pretty masculine, but I never, I never quite identified as a butch lesbian, right. you know, cause I've dated butch lesbians and I definitely yeah. don't, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's not, couldn't be me. And then, you know, cause I also am attracted to all genders and, and I, I do f- I do identify as like the blanket term would be queer when people are like, so do you only date women? I'm like, no, I date, you know, all genders. Um, And they're like, so are you pansexual? And I'm like, yes, but also I feel like my, there cannot be sexuality for me without love. Like I, I have to, you know, at least be a little bit in love to be able to feel sexual attraction for somebody, which is, technically referred to as demisexual, but I don't like all them labels. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't really feel good to just like stick like a pan and a demi and a bi and a queer and a, you know, trans on me. Um, I identify as loosely queer and trans because I'm definitely not straight and I'm definitely not cis, but you know, for, I, I think it's like each person, just like each person really diagnoses themselves as an alcoholic or an addict or a sex and love addict or an anorexic or a bulimic. And it is up to them and God, like how they choose to identify. Right. I don't identify as a sex and love addict anymore, even though that is like a, you know, disease that I have, you know, been through and a um, addiction that I have, you know, worked on. I identify as a person with addiction. I identify as an addict, you know, that's again, a loose umbrella term for, I can't think normal. Mm. (laughs) I can't think without snorting the thought. I can't date without snorting the person. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm not careful, uh, I, I do tend to get obsessive over anything. So it can be TV. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Christiana, your producer. And if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha maiden organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend, and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The Turmeric Latte Blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The prana chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. 
By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with the cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop, and you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well. I relate to that very, very much. I always joke I could qualify for any of the programs. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll. I mean, I have never gambled, me, oh. but I mean, if I did, I probably would be yeah, in that I'm program the, for like, sure. I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I just don't put it past myself. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, well, no, I haven't, but I'm sure I could. Yep. But I, I guess during Pride Month, one of the things I want to highlight is there's a lot of people out there like me because I talk to them who want to be supportive. But we don't, and, and and the way I'm supportive personally is twofold. One, I, you know, I take direction. <laughs> and two, I try to put myself in that person's shoes. That's a that's one of the ways I'm supportive, right? I grew up in the Bay Area and my first wedding was a gay wedding. Like I this was not being gay was not diff was not any weird at all to me. And it, in fact, taboo or anything. In like fact, that, yeah. the way I grew up being Jewish, my father, Ashkenazi Jewish, and uh, we're, we're 51%. Uh, my father being Jewish was way more of a pain point than any of the other stuff because that was what people were judgmental about, not not homosexual. I grew up mm. in the Bay Area. You know, we're right next to San Francisco. Every You know, it's just yeah. not a big deal. You know, everyone's gay. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I guess where I would love your input as someone who's been through this. I want, I really want to understand. I really want to understand the need to have the labels to change the pronouns. And I don't understand. I, 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 yeah. I don't. And I really like, I, I find it hard. I find I'm not as supportive as I could be. I could be more supportive if I had the understanding because I could explain it to other people who are saying the things to me that they're not going to say to you or other people because I am a straight woman. So I can only teach from a place of my experience. Yes. Right. There's, there's a lot of discourse on, you know, pronouns and getting pronouns right. And, you know, striving to be inclusive, um, you know, doing things like as simple as like, if you're for me, like as a, um, as a coach and as a, you know, mentor and as a, um, tarot reader, you know, I have little forms on my website that people have to fill out with their like birthday and like why they're booking this session with me. And, you know, I, I didn't have a pronoun thing. Like, you know, I was like, why did I add that? Like, you know, adding like, what are your pronouns just to make sure I get them right. Or if I, you know, I'm just asking people what their pronouns are rather than, you know, doing this thing that I see a lot of, um, you know, allies and, and, uh, non trans folks, six cis people like doing the whole, Oh, I'm trying, but it's just really hard. It's just like, showing up willing to fail and knowing that you probably are going to slip up. And, you know, when you do slip up on somebody's pronouns, correcting yourself and moving on. And rather than saying, I'm sorry, when you slip up saying thank you, when you're corrected, that way the, 
you know, person whose pronouns that you've slipped up with doesn't feel uh, compelled to say it's okay. Mm, right, uh, right, right. You know, and rather than that, it just shows like, you know, okay, like change behavior will show them, right? Just moving on swiftly, you know, and, and, getting into that. That's the habit. part of being, of doing what you're told, right? Like that's where, where allies come in. Like we show up, we ask pronouns, we, we do those things. And I really love that tip of saying thank you instead of I'm sorry, but it doesn't get me across the bridge to understanding. Okay. I, okay. So, let so me let me, let me this. give you an example. Let me just, let me, I, so I, I often, want to do male things, right? Like I have the urge to do male things. I, I, what do you mean by male things? Things that are, are historically considered. If you, if you go back in history there, they are, have a masculine energy, like, you know, shooting guns or, you know, being the heads of like things that today are, are, we have made more equal, but historically, these things you could, you know, you could call them, you know, drive fast cars, muscle car, you know, like things like that, right? Like things that were historically considered more male. It has never occurred to me to ident to change how I identify because a big piece of me feels more masculine than the average woman, right? Does that make sense? What's an average woman? I don't know. The straight this is the straight average woman. That's whole that's that's the whole thing is like I feel like for like us to be able to kind of dismantle and decenter right. limiting uh beliefs about okay. gender, like that, you know, women are dainty and, and pick flowers and uh they're the gatherers, they gather the berries and the, the men right, hunt the right. meat. That kind of and yeah. you know, the men drive the family. Yeah. To to be able to decenter that, we have to kind of just completely set aside everything we thought we knew that a woman oh, was. I so I 100% like have had to work the like set aside methodology yeah. and like non-attachment around all of my gender stuff because like I said earlier like I thought if I'm not a woman men aren't going to find me attractive women aren't going to find me attractive like cuz if I you know uh start to be more androgynous like the like feminine, like lesbians that I'm attracted to are not going to be as attracted to me. Or if I start to be more androgynous, the men that I'm attracted to aren't going to be more attracted to me. First of all, like <laughs> if me cutting my hair or dressing more on the quote unquote masculine side, which when I say I dress masculine, I mean, I wear looser fitting, baggier right. clothes, not as much uh, tight, you know, fitting shit that like my tits are hanging out of like, and that's like, who's to say that's feminine or masculine. Right. right? Because obviously like in indigenous culture, like everyone like was fluid and everyone had, you know, the two spirit, um, you know, especially in my, you know, Filipino side, the Shah, um, where the Shah comes from. And like, there is no gender in mm -hmm. like indigeneity in the Philippines. There just was no gender. That's why there's only oh, one that's pronoun. Really interesting. It's, you know, and, and as far as like changing the pronouns goes like, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's why for a long time I didn't feel like a strong need to change my pronouns. And, and I like oscillate between being very strictly like today I am they, them to some days being like referring to myself as like a woman and a girl and like being fine with that. I think it's really just when people are like, Hey ladies, 
I get really like triggered by that, but that's me. I mean, I'm working on that too. Like I'm working on life, not being so triggering by just practicing this non-attachment and knowing that like accepting that society is while it is progressing in many ways and like starting to move away from certain things and starting to implement certain changes that there are always going to be people who don't understand that there are more than two genders, you know, even the idea of divine masculine and divine feminine kind of gives me, you know, just a little bit of like, well, why do we have to categorize it? You know, why does it have to be put in a box? And like, as somebody who struggles with that cognitive distortion of black and white thinking, like, why does, why does my thinking have to be so masculine and feminine check one box? And it makes me feel like I'm killing part of myself to check off one box sometimes, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? To, to, you know, say this outfit is feminine. Uh, I'm completely ignoring, dismembering (laughs) these like parts of myself that are innately masculine and vice versa. So I, I, I think that the answer is there is no answer. Um, the answer is that it's fluidity. You know, we are made of 80% water, which is fluid, which, you know, I think that gender and identity and spirituality are so fluid, you know, and I, I saw this thing in this book, The Spirituality of Imperfection, talking about how spirituality is fluid and religion is solid. And there are these like solid... Um, messages, you know, in religion. And I feel like there are solid messages in like the patriarchy's understanding of gender. Right. And there are these solid, like men should do this and women should do this. Women definitely should not do this. And men definitely shouldn't do this. But luckily, you know, through program, through recovery and through my own like deep soul work and my, my, you know, education on, you know, um, Filipino witchcraft and, and, you know, Jewish, uh, witchcraft and things like that. I've been learning a lot about, you know, just how fluid I am and just how fluid we are. And it just makes things a lot easier when I'm not limiting my beliefs of gender, not just my gender, but the gender of everyone. You know, I, I think giving voice to the fact that, there are parts of me that have been undiscovered, mm. you know, that have not been awakened yet, you know, that are kind of just in the icebox for later, you know, is important and and that I just don't know. And yeah, I, I think I feel like I'm like talking in circles at this point. No, but no, yeah. it's it's helpful for me to understand and to hear, you know, your your kind of free thought about it. When I was two things came up for me when you were talking. One was that you were saying because when I was saying, oh, like the average woman or whatever, and you're like, what's average, right? And it's changed. It's changed tremendously over the years into, you know, in, 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 in good ways. Right. So one of my thoughts was maybe we have to, maybe the, the categorizing or the naming or the options helps change the narrative on what's normal at like, what's, what's average, right? Like that, those old ideas, maybe giving more options creates these more, these, these places we can go that destabilize 
so what you, you said something to the to the effect of like we destabilize all gender and that's how we get to this new place and one and, and that makes sense to me like okay we have to destabilize the whole system first in order to repaint right i'm like okay that makes sense and the the other question i had was okay so if we want to change how let's say we we look at genders right we want to we just say ashley like okay you were born with female parts but you have a lot of masculinity here you have all these different things right why do we what is the value of of creating all these new identities or different identities or different um categories as opposed to stretching the categories of each each physical you know denomination like the 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 does that make sense because yes absolutely because gender isn't just about what's obviously you know this like gender isn't what's downstairs it's what's up here and it's what's in right. here and i you know even though i was assigned female at birth and i feel completely happy with my body parts that i have today and I say today because tomorrow I could decide that I want top surgery, right? right? And, uh, or, you know, yeah, in a couple of weeks, I could decide that I want to go on testosterone, but that's not my right, journey right, right now. Right. Like what I, what I do, you know, what I do feel is really important is that it's important for me at least to not feel alone because I spent my entire childhood up until School of Rock feeling alone. And then after School of Rock ended and I was out of that situation, I felt alone until the time I got sober from when I was Mm. like, yeah, 11 till I was 24. And, you know, meeting that person, uh, Ro is their name, who was in the show with me, who was non-binary and meeting somebody who was fluid for the first time and, and, you know, getting to know them and getting to know what their gender or lack thereof meant to them was incredibly eye-opening for me. So, you know, as a non-binary person, I think it's important for, especially as a public figure too, like it's important for me to talk about my gender slash Mm -hmm. lack thereof slash where I'm at in my journey and keep people updated on that. Because what I get is a lot of messages from, you know, trans kids or, teenagers or even people that are older than me. Like, I mean, I've definitely had like, you know, friends in recovery who are like 38, 37, like 40, 50, (laughs) starting to use they, them pronouns and starting to use a different name. And it's magical to see that. And like, they'll, they've told me, I've had some people tell me like, it was seeing you become Rivka and change your pronouns on zoom. That made me feel safe to Mm. do the same. So you know, it's important, I think, for like cis and straight people to understand that, like, we have all the labels not to confuse them, like not to confuse you, like, but just so people know they're not alone. And I think that's a, another big part of pride. It's another big part of pride. Yeah. Right. No, is I- this unity is the unity around like our spectrum, our wide spectrum of sexuality. Cause like, right. People are just learning that there's more than just gay straight by like people are learning that, you know, pansexual, um, is different than bi, uh, for some reason that I actually really don't know too much. Like, I feel like they're pretty, it must be that you include, it must be that you include like trans in there that like, that's the only thing that, cause I was thinking about that. Like, well, by, by is that you're attracted to more than one gender. And pan is that you're attracted to all genders, uh, is the, I so like, I if see. I was, if I were to Any say, gender. 
so I'm both by and because I'm attracted to like men and women. Yes. I'm also attracted to non-binary people. I'm also attracted to agender people, genderless people. Um, and you know, obviously when I say I'm attracted to men and women, like obviously because trans men are men and trans women are women, trans men do fall under those categories. So I don't have to say like, I'm attracted to men and trans men because men are men, whether they're trans or not. Like, I mean, I honestly am, you know, (laughs) attracted to all genders. It's just that I know, like for me, emotionally, I feel more of a connection with other queer people. So, you know, I, I probably don't want to continue to date, um, cis straight men. Um, but if like a bisexual cis man came into my life and things were aligned and they were spiritual and sober or, you know, didn't need to be in recovery program, like, you know, I'd consider it, but that's the whole thing of fluidity that I think is beautiful. And that's why I think I, I do, you know, identify as both like, you know, gender fluid and sexually fluid and romantically fluid is that like, I just don't know what I don't know yet. Mm. Like I, I could meet this like straight, this guy, you know, likely he wouldn't be straight if he was attracted to me because I'm trans, but you know, it's, that's all another realm of it. And I could, you know, educate you and the listeners like on that for forever, but it is also quite exhausting. And like, there's, there's, you know, a lot of discourse about it on the internet and Twitter. And, you know, I feel like when people labor, you know, trans people, especially trans people of color and queer people of color with the, you know, work of educating, we're not the only, I'm not the only source. I'm probably not even the best source. And there are definitely like, you know, other black and brown uh, trans folk out that out there that like understand more. And I think like, I'd be happy to share some of the like, you know, better resources. Like there's specifically like a lock fade Menon who is on Instagram at a lock V M E N O N like who posts all of this like trans and queer and POC like history. Mm. And they're a trans person too. Um, there's, you know, a bunch of different, you know, public figures out there, Theo Germain, (laughs) there's, there's, just tons of resources out there. I'm not the only one. And I, you know, I want to say that my experience of gender is way different than, you know, I have a sponsee who is a trans man and I said, gender is stupid the other day. And he was just like, well, it's not to Mm. me because I almost died because I was born into the wrong body body you know, or, or not, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Like, but he said, I was, I almost died because I was identifying and perceived as female for a long time. And, you know, gender is very important uh, to me and it's not stupid to me. So I had to really right size myself on that. Like, cause to some people it is very important. My sister, you know, my sister's also trans and she is, um, she's kind of like me where she's, you know, fluid, uh, sexually and, uh, gender wise, but she is a a very, you know, uh, staunchly uses she, her pronouns. And, you know, whereas I am very fluid in mine and I have other friends who are, you know, trans mask who have had top surgery, who have been on testosterone, but still only want to be referred to with they, them pronouns. And it's all just like no two DNAs are right, the same. Right. Just like 
with recovery, like I, I feel like I have definitely, right. My stool doesn't look the same right, as yours. Right. You know, the, <laughs> it's funny when you, there's a woman who came on our podcast. She is intersex. Her name is Jessica Book and she is a, uh, model and just like, she is the definition of what people like when you think of woman right like the the straight woman it's like that's what she looks like on the magazines and what have you she's intersex get this her dna shows up as male so i i want to write a thriller about her where she commits crimes (laughs) and they take the dna sample it shows up as male she'll never get caught because no one would ever think it you know and and that's a perfect example of like her if you took her dna it would tell you it would say male. It would say male. And and yet everything we see and everything we think we know about, you know, based on what she looks like, based on what we can see, would tell us something different. And that was a huge, you know, like, wow, that, you know, look at these, look at all these different scenarios. And I, I really, really appreciate, number one, you letting me ask you these questions because it, it really, I'm really into... Um, you know, counsel culture, not cancel culture. And I think that it counseling each other. I haven't heard yeah, that one. I like that. I love that. Like counsel culture, not cancel culture, because how do, how do we get better if we, if we're not learning, if we're not being shown the way. And you said something that, and every time I've had these conversations, I get a little nugget you know, that helps me understand more. And uh, you said something, you said, it's about not being feeling alone and identifying. And that is something I can relate to. And I think most people, whether it's their, their particular religion, right? You know, Christianity has a huge umbrella, but people want to, you know, they're Catholic, they're Protestant, they're Lutheran, you know, whatever, there's different types, because People, those types identify in a very specific way and people like that. So to me, when you're describing the, the, the feeling of being home, not being alone, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, like there are Facebook groups for people who own an FJ Cruiser, you know, like that's a Toyota, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. because people don't, because people have a specific narrow interest. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, I feel like for me, I used to diagnose myself and my friends uh, with various diseases using astrology and, you know, be like, oh, you're a Sagittarius. That makes sense. Like doing that right. whole thing. And there are like, just like you said, there's a Facebook group for PT cruisers. There's like also like, you know, uh, a bunch of like internet communities for Leos. Totally, totally. <laughs> right? There's a Facebook page. There's a Facebook page that's like specifically devoted to people who have their moon in Aries, which I'm in. And it's like, we are all so similar. Like how, you know, of course this makes sense that we're all, you know, we all express our feelings this way because we all have this same astrology. And it, it feels like with, you know, having, community around. And I, one of the greatest gifts of my life was being able to work with, um, uh, this production called Q2, which was all about queer kids, you know, navigating being kind of loners in small towns and then finding each other right. on the internet. And, um, I ended up getting to like work with that on my sister. They didn't know we were siblings. It's, <laughs> it was really, wow. just like a, we have a common last name, you know, it's like, they just, they yeah. didn't know. And, you know, they put us in this, this cast and 
you know, everyone had their own unique experience of sexuality or lack thereof, because some people are also asexual and they don't experience sexual attraction. And that doesn't mean that they'll like, you know, never be in a relationship. That just means that sex doesn't do it for them. And that's okay. But like, yeah, that they, the writers, um, Celeste and Ryan, they like took the stories of actual like queer youth in small towns to create and curate this musical. And I learned so much just in those like two weeks that I was working on the the workshop of it, like just learning about the different identities and, and the different terms and labels and things like that. And while I balk at labels because I don't like being put in a box and I don't like black and white thinking, it feels nice to you know, even if it's just like a silly meme on Instagram where it's just like, oh my God, where am I queer, you know, non-binary people at, uh, with a Leo sun and an Aries moon. And if it's like exactly what I am, if I see myself in that at all, I feel seen and I feel very, yeah, I love that you feel seen because we all want to feel seen and see, and this is the piece. Like when I have these conversations, I'm like, okay, I don't understand. And then you explain it and you say, things like, you know, I feel seen. I'm like, well, I get wanting to feel seen, right? So there's, I get wanting to be in a community. I get like, these are things I can relate to. And one of the most powerful things I went to um, UCLA undergrad, and it was a really cool experience for me because I was exposed to so many different types of people and so many different types of people that I had never that I, you know, had never come in contact with and they helped shape my view of, of who, who those people were, people who had, you know, undocumented people, uh, trans, I mean, everything. And I had really amazing conversations. And there was this person um, who at the time didn't, I don't believe uh, had changed pronouns or, or, or identified differently, um, was still identifying as a he, But he said to me something so powerful. He said to me, Ashley, imagine if every time you were in a public place and you had to go to the bathroom, you had to look at two signs, two genders, one with a skirt and one without a skirt, and you had to question your gender every single time you just wanted to use a public restroom. And I thought about that hard because, I mean, I've, it is never, I mean, I've always thought, you know, great, we, you know, we're the sign with the dress or whatever, thinking to myself, like, yeah, that could be probably more inclusive. But, but I, I never looked at going, I never, I have never thought twice going to the public restroom and thought to myself, oh my gosh, which one do I go to? Uh, or thought anything about my gender at all whatsoever. I just picked the female one and walked through the door. That's it. It never, it didn't, it wasn't an existential crisis for me. It didn't bring up, it didn't trigger me. It didn't, nothing happened. I, it never occurred to me that that was even right. Like that, that, that there was anything beyond just telling me what room to go into. And when he told me that I thought about how, you know, painful that would be if that was a painful subject and thinking about, you know, my personal journeys with other things, with with eating disorders and weight. And, you know, imagine if every time I wanted to go to the bathroom, that that topic was brought up for me. I mean, every time, you know, whatever it was. And that helped me a lot. That's, that opened the door for me to the conversations to start to try to understand what other people were going through. 
what it would feel like to be born in the wrong body, what it would feel like. Because for the people who I'm around who are trying to understand this movement, who are trying to be supportive, if you've never felt that, if you've never questioned it, if you've never, you know, if you've never even considered gender, it is really hard to understand. It's really... It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you did mention like putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't do that as much as I try to look at people from a God's eye view and, you know, see situations. Cause I will never, ever understand what it is to be black right. in America. I'll never, ever understand that, but I can, you know, and instead of centering myself by putting myself in a black person's shoes, like what I'll do is I'll just look at everything from a God's eye view and know that racism doesn't come from God. And, you know, looking at that and being like, okay, where do I show up? What's my part? What do I still need to work on? What part of me is still ignorant? What part of me still has limiting beliefs about race, limiting beliefs about gender and having a transgender sister has like really helped me. She definitely checks me all the time. She definitely, definitely, uh, you know, puts me, you know, right sizes me and tells me, Hey, that's uh, that, that thing that you said was, you know, a little bit, um, bio essentialist and, you know, not all women have, uh, <laughs> ovaries, right? Like I said something about like, uh, this was like two or three years ago on like International Women's Day. I said something that was like, congratulations, like you had to suck on a titty to like be alive or something like that. And she was just like, not all women have the ability to breastfeed and not all, you know, people with breasts are women. So like, that's a little bit bio essentialist and, and, you know, just make sure you're checking that because be careful. You don't want to like hurt anybody by sharing those types of things. And I too, like spent a lot of time before I like really started to do the work on educating myself about gender and about, you know, the history and all of that. Um, and the science of it all is that like, again, the body of the person doesn't matter if they look a certain way, but they're telling you they're a he, then you got to just trust the individual. And, you know, I, I definitely like I have struggled with like partners who didn't get it, like partners who didn't understand my gender or my pronouns. And they unfortunately just weren't on my level. And I don't always have the patience to uh, teach and to educate. And, you know, that's not <laughs> that's not a reflection of me. I think it's also a reflection on the person's lack of willingness to try and to make an effort to to be more understanding And I think of the St. Francis prayer all the time. Like I think of that to understand rather than to be understood, to seek to love and comfort rather than to be loved and be comforted, you know, and where can I bring justice where there is discord, where there is imbalance, you know, and just by living in my truth and by putting my pronouns in my bio and by being on a zoom meeting or or something and seeing somebody who has added like she, they to their profile and sending them my info and being like, Hey, do you know of any good queer meetings? If not, I have a whole list and I can send right. them your way if you're interested, you know, and that's, that's me doing my part to, you know, bring that um, love and understanding and comfort to the rooms because I feel like 
the rooms are very, very binary. I mean, it just passed like a couple weeks ago to change the preamble to AA is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope rather than men and women, uh, just to make it a little bit more inclusive. And that's like a tiny little footnote on the like, you know, rest of the literature that is intensely gendered, that there's so much more work to be done. But it, it, that is even a small victory. And in my like queer uh, fellowship, like group chat, we were all celebrating yeah. it. You know, that's a celebration of pride. That's an act of pride is that that got passed. And, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, the rooms are becoming more uh, inclusive. I mean, definitely in California I'm in New York, not, can't speak for all of America. You know, I'm still seeing a lot of um, spaces that are like, you know, a sponsor is somebody who is of a of the um, same sex that can, you know, take you through the steps where it's like, well, no, that's not what it is. Like the, the sponsor's gender doesn't actually matter. It's just like, use your best judgment and pick a sponsor who you're not at risk of acting out with sexually. <laughs> like, I, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm just laughing inside, just thinking of me as a newcomer, just that it, two things I didn't have was best and judgment. <laughs> so yeah. so maybe, maybe ask someone, ask someone you trust because <laughs> my judgment was definitely less than less than superb. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me as a newcomer, um, I, I definitely was like very, um, careful who I chose to be my sponsor, but I, I, I knew that I wanted to work with somebody who was also queer. And also at the time I was identifying as a woman, like I still, I mean, I still kind of identify as a woman. Let's be real. Like I identify as non-binary, but I also identify as a Filipino Mm. woman, um, and a Jewish woman. Like, and I don't know why, like I conflate my race with my gender at all. Like it's kind of still all a discovery for me, but like, yeah, I, I for sure like picked a like lesbian as my first sponsor, because I wanted to work with somebody who understood that, uh, understood queerness. But, you know, I was very careful in picking somebody who I wasn't at risk of falling totally. for, you know, and, and yeah, it ended, she's not my sponsor anymore, but like, yeah, I ended up finding a new sponsor in Chicago who has now been my sponsor for almost two years now. Wow. And, um, you know, there's no risk there you know, she's, she's in a a beautiful, uh, partnership with a man who, you know, is sober in AA and they, the two of them work a lot on social justice, like within the rooms and they, I look up to them so much and like, that is what I want to do. Like, I want to continue to bring, uh, neutrality and inclusivity to the rooms. And just by adding a simple statement that love and tolerance is our code and that, you know, racist or homophobic or transphobic or misogynistic or ableist, um, or xenophobic, like statements aren't welcome, you know, (laughs) that can be a small act of justice that can change, like, you know, the way a newcomer feels safe in a meeting. Cause that is like, you know, strongly, you know, upholding the traditions, you know, making the newcomer feel safe and welcome and and making sure that they feel like this is a space they can recover in. This is a space they can trust. Do you have, I'm sure you have a, a, a list of lots of great queer meetings and, and all sorts of resources. Is, 
you know, should people contact you on your website or Instagram if they're curious about joining various groups? What do you have recommendations for people? There are many. Yeah, there are many. And I I wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't be able to like post a list because I just don't want people to totally. like the wrong people to get those. I can definitely, um, yeah, Instagram is typically the best way to contact me as far as resources for recovery goes, but I'd be happy to point people in the direction of a, a safe place to recover. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I think that's a huge part of getting sober, being in recovery and finding where you fit and finding your people. You know, I had to find my people and, and my people have, and and like you said, my people have changed over the years, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if I wasn't, if when I was new in AA, like if I hadn't like started, um, just going to every like meeting that said LGBTQ on it, like I wouldn't have found that first sponsor and I maybe not, I maybe wouldn't have stayed sober. Like who knows? But you know, and then when I left, cause I got sober in LA and I left to go, um, back to school in Chicago for a little bit. And I remember coming back to Chicago and like, that's where I'm from originally. So I had like friends who were in program and I was just like, Hey, take me to your favorite meeting. And like, I found this great group called sobriety in the arts, which still runs virtually on zoom, uh, where, you know, the speaker brings in a piece of art that speaks to them about their sobriety in some way. And it could be something they wrote. It could be something that somebody else wrote and like going to that meeting and like meeting other young people Mm -hmm. with cool tattoos and cool hair, like in Chicago that were in the program that were sober and made sobriety look like so much fun. Right. That kept me sober. And then like, that's where I like met my first sponsee. Right. That's like where I, you know, definitely, understood what service was about because there was a person, I remember specifically this person brought cookies every week and there wasn't even a built-in commitment for that. Like that wasn't like a, there was no cookie commitment, but they just, because they love this meeting so much, brought cookies that they made every week. And it's like a 40, 50 person meeting. Like that's a lot of cookies. (laughs) That's a lot of cookies. (laughs) They were good too. They were fire. They, um, yeah, I think I I love that. And that's really cool about the, um, the, the sober within the arts. What's it called? Remind me the the name. Sobriety, Sobriety in, the, in arts. the arts. I love that. I, I yeah, come come. It's a great meeting. It's on Thursdays. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, you know, leave my inbox on Insta open for anyone who is interested in uh, Sobriety in the Arts or in any other like queer, you know, focused or BIPOC meetings. We do have like a, a very strong fellowship of um all POC recovery meetings. So there's like a spreadsheet that's out there about like, I think there's probably like 200 meetings on there of um, like meetings that are open to uh, predominantly only people of color. And some of them are only open to queer people of color as well. Yeah. My inbox is open. Hit me up on uh, Insta or Twitter uh, if you want the info for any of those. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And um, we're going to put some resources in the show notes and so that we, you know, people have places to go and can look up meetings, whether they're on person and kind of give a breakdown of, of what you can do to join meetings where you feel safe to recover. Uh, on on a uh, ending note, 
what is something that we can all do this month, um, those of us who are not in the community, to support to support Pride? Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of orgs that can be donated to. Um, I would recommend, you know, doing research and putting in the work and going on, like, you can come on mine. You can come on to, uh, you know, Alok V. Menon's Insta and look at any calls to action. Um, typically I post a lot of, um, calls to action in my stories. Uh, a lot of people, you know, need top surgery or bottom surgery or, you know, to, to get the correct, like, you know, medical care that they need and they post their GoFundMes. And something that I often do is I'll just like retweet, um, a bunch of, you know, different mutual, uh, aid, you know, things for individuals. Um, I think it's important to be, you know, donating, you know, even if it's like a couple dollars to like, a you know, houseless, uh, trans person who, you know, is in need of childcare or in need of, uh, you know, a gender affirming surgery. I think that's equally as important as donating to bigger organizations okay. like the okra, uh, the okra fund. I think that's what it's called. Um, the Okra Project or the Future Perfect Project is another one that comes to mind. Another one that comes to mind is for the Gwirls. And I can send you like the Instagrams of all of those Perfect. just to link in the show yes. notes. Yeah. That's yeah. Really there, there are a lot of different orgs that like especially help with like Black trans people's rent and their surgeries, um, you know, help, you know, getting... Uh, <laughs> Queer people, there's very specific ones too. Like there, there are companies that like help queer people who used to be in gangs get their tattoos covered up so they can get work. Mm, you know, that's very. Uh, there's, there's like less very specific. Yeah, they're out of Chicago, but yeah, I think it's just important to do your own research and you know think about what your um, specific passions are and you know looking into where you would like to donate your time. And your money. Uh, but time is also as valid as, you know, donating actual physical money too. Um, I think, you know, even donating a couple hours to like doing some good ass research on like, you know, people, places and things to support people, places and things to educate yourself on. You know, there, there are lots of documentaries. Um, the, the, the documentary Disclosure on Netflix talks, or I think it's on Netflix or HBO. I'm not sure. Talks a lot about, um, like just transness in the lens of Hollywood oh, okay. and how like kind of unfairly trans people as actors have like been treated for a long time. There are a ton of, uh, different like shows that can be work in progress is a great TV show for Showtime. The, the newer, uh, L word is pretty good too, um, on Showtime, which is called the L word generation Q, um, which has like actually good, like trans representation, not like last time. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's truly a lot. There's a lot out there. It's just like, I think a willingness to like show up and do the work. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And, um, and thank you. I'm, I'm, my heart goes out to you in this time. I, I, I know what it's like to feel tragedy and, and, um, and grief and loss. And I completely understand not wanting to feel that pain. And I, I, my heart, you know, I'm sending you hugs from, from over here and just be gentle with yourself during this time. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rivka. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.